Good to see you guys here today. Um, if you're just now joining us by a podcast, my name's Scott, one of our pastors here, and I'm excited to be talking with you. It's been a month since I have gotten to preach. So, I mean, I got a fire inside, man. Come on, so get ready. Um, happy first day of spring. Did you know that? Today's first day of spring. And uh, we are in the middle of the Lenten season, if you're one of those who kind of pays attention to the rhythms of the uh, uh, church calendar there, building up towards Easter. In just four short weeks, we are going to be celebrating ourselves some resurrection around here, and it's going to be good. Uh, I want to ask you, how many of you will be in faith and pray in faith with us that over these next few weeks, that every single man, woman, child, that God wants to be here, that God is calling to be here to hear good news about Jesus Christ, that not one single person will not make it, that not one single person will, will find an excuse or find some obstacle that keeps them from being here on Easter Sunday. Will you, will you agree with me? Amen. 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 Let me ask you this. How many of you will do something about that Amen. and actually invite somebody Somebody around you, a, a coworker, a neighbor, a, someone in class with you, somebody, maybe even a total stranger to come with you, invite them to be your guest on Easter Sunday. Will you do that? Amen? Because remember we said, that's kind of how God likes to answer prayer sometimes. You are often the answer or the means to the answer to the prayer that we pray. Amen. So we get to, we, God, I always like to say, remind people, God doesn't lobotomize, he utilizes, right? He doesn't lobotomize us. And so he's not lobotomizing people out there in our community and you will go to church and now they have no choice. No, he utilizes, he utilizes you and me to go and invite them and to compel them and bring them in. Amen. So for the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to dive into a short little series. This may just be like a, a, a two-parter um, that I hope are, will open your eyes as much as he has really opened mine here lately to the stranger in our midst. We're going to look at a lot of scripture over the next couple of weeks, uh, but here's one passage that is going to help us sort of prime the pump. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, he says this, contribute to the needs of the saints extend hospitality to strangers. Contribute to the needs of, so he's saying, care for the, for the needs of the body, the saints. We talked about that this morning. Many of you are just doing an amazing, beautiful job at that right now. You're caring for the needs of the body. But Paul reminds us, don't only have an inward focus, also have an outward focus, which is a lot of what missions is all about, right? Extend hospitality to strangers, now, as I have read and studied my Bible over these last few weeks, that I have gotten to, you know, take a little vacation from preaching here and listen to all this good word that's been brought, I, I've been reading my Bible, and I got to admit, there is a strong, clear, biblical mandate I have found for hospitality. Now, I have to tell you, totally honest, that word hospitality, like, to, to like kingdom hospitality or something like that, uh, sounds a little boring and trivial to me. When you just say the word hospitality, uh, that can just sound a little bit sort of like, you know, a Miss Manners article or something like that, like Martha Stewart's Five Steps to Holding a Dinner Party. Hospitality is kind of, okay, hospitality. I assure you that when we're talking about this kingdom hospitality, it is a much deeper concept than that. And I'll also admit to you this, I have come under some conviction uh, of this 
myself over these past few weeks. And one of the things I love to do is when I come under conviction is just pass that right on to you. Uh, that just makes me feel so much better. Uh, so I hope it kind of rattles our cage here a little bit today. This is, and we're not talking about shame or manipulation. I'm not talking about that kind of conviction. It's just that we need to be a people uh, who are open to the Holy Spirit pricking our hearts and saying it's time to adjust. When it's time, it's time to adjust our lives a little bit to make more space for the kingdom, uh, to make it make, help us to be more in line with the kingdom. And so for the next few weeks, I hope we have the potential for allowing God to do that for us. So keep your, your seatbelt on. Um, Let's talk about this scripture for a second. The word he uses here uh, for this, this, it's in a very, very, very important Greek word for hospitality is this word philozania, philozania, all right? Why don't everybody say this with me? It's a lot of fun to say. You can say it with me. Here we go. Philozania, right? It sounds, it's fun to say. It sounds like something delicious. The might little balsamic vinegar sprinkled on top, philozania. It's just, but it's no, it's not a food. Uh, it's, a, it's a compound word. Actually, philo uh, means love, like Philadelphia. It's this brotherly love, philo. And zanus means stranger or foreigner. It's someone who is the other. Uh, the, someone who's not from your social group, not from your familiar, your comfortable tribe. The word Zanus, it's not just somebody you haven't met le- yet, like the person sitting next to you. Oh, I haven't met you. How are you? It's not just the person you haven't met yet. It, it, the connotation has a special uh, meaning of someone who is different from you. It might be different nationality, different ethnicity, different background, different uh, culture, different religion, different style. There's just something about them that just seems kind of strange to you, just naturally. That's what the word stranger means. When we say stranger, it's somebody who is strange to us, right? And so we in the kingdom, it turns out, are are called to have this love for the stranger, the one who's different than us. I'm calling this message loving the strange because I think that's where God is going to be calling us, loving the strange. Now, this is challenging. I'm going to tell you why. Because social scientists who study these kind of things, they tell us that we don't naturally have a love for people who are different than us. That's probably a shock to you, right? But yeah, it's, it doesn't come naturally. Experts tell us that all social groups everywhere in this whole wide world are formed by stuff that we have in common, stuff that's familiar to us. We just naturally form a social group with those people. And with these groups, there's always kind of an us-them dynamic to them, right? Uh, There's a part of us that, that's the part of us that binds us together. It keeps the group together. And that part is, we are this and we are not that. That's just what comes naturally. We are the people who look this way, not the people who look that way. We are the people who eat this way and talk this way. We do not talk that way. We we dress this way. We do not dress that way. And, And we believe these things. We vote these things. We value these things. We do not believe, vote, and value these things. Uh, we don't, uh, so this is just human nature. It doesn't necessarily make you evil. It just makes you human, okay? It's how we form, naturally, it's how we form cohesive bonds with people. There's a brilliant social psychologist uh, by the name of Jonathan Haidt who wrote uh, an incredible uh, book on this called The Righteous Mind. If you, if you ever get a chance to just read it, it just blew me away. I, love, I loved reading it. It was so good. He talks about this. And, and as part of our, it's part of our human fallacy, I guess, the, our fallen nature. Uh, is not that, it's not only that we don't really love the stranger, but we're also suspicious of them. 
So we're not just sort of neutral towards strangers. We are naturally suspicious of the strange. We live in a world, in fact, now where media organizations and political groups and this sort of thing have actually weaponized the science of this, if you've noticed, if you're paying attention, right? This, for, for their own power and their own profit, mind you, they have weaponized this natural suspicion we have of the stranger, and they intentionally play up our differences. Uh, I guarantee the, whatever nightly news program you watch at night it doesn't talk about all the ways Americans are the same. It doesn't talk about the 3,000 things that all Americans have in common, right? No, 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 It talks about the them, whichever, whichever one you're watching. I guarantee it's about 90% of it's talking about the them and how they are so different. It emphasizes our difference. It, 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 you and I are constantly being played every single day by folks who want to exaggerate the strangeness of the other to make them not just odd to us, but to make them our enemy. Those guys, they're strange. They're suspicious, right? What are they up to? What's their true motive, right? They don't just have, it's not just, those aren't just people who have a different idea or have a different opinion like that. They are the people who want to destroy your way of life. How many have heard that once or twice or a hundred times this week? They want to destroy your way of life, right? It's all playing on our fears, it's all playing on our fears. In fact, the opposite of philozania, the love of the stranger, it's what's translated into the English as hospitality in the scripture. The opposite of that is the word xenophobia, which is a word that's actually entered into our language. Literally, fear of the stranger. Fear of the stranger, the other, those who are different. Xenophobia is on the rise in our culture. Uh, and one of the reasons that's happened, this, uh, some of these social scientists have pointed out, xenophobia happens, and you can kind of look at different periods and centuries throughout human, human history, and we see this, but it happens when one group has been for a while the dominant group, and they've enjoyed uh, some sense of power, and there becomes a moment, a sort of uh, moment in the history of this group where they get a sense that they're losing their grip on power, they're losing control uh, and so fear sets in, and that is obviously going on in, in our country. But to some extent, this has always been this way. This isn't just like a uniquely American thing. This has always been this way because this is really a part of our fallen human nature. We're just humans, right? And so we gravitate naturally to people who are like us in some way. The call, the, the just crazy call that we are given by God is to have an actual genuine love of the other. A love of the other. Philozania. And not just a love in sort of an abstract sense, like, oh, yeah, I love everybody, and yeah, I appreciate everybody. I just want to buy the world a Coke, and I just, you know, I just want everybody to get along. That's just sort of like a, a harmless, it doesn't risk anything kind of love, right? That's an easy love to just feel in the comfort of your home. We're called to express a concrete kind of love. That is philozania, philozania. It's reaching out to the stranger in a way that they no longer feel like a stranger, but they are embraced as, as members of your group. That is unnatural, supernatural, okay? We're called to welcome the outsider and love them in, love them in and love them into the state of being insiders. Welcome the outsider and make them insiders. The church 
I believe the church is actually called by God to break down this whole us-them dynamic, to prove the social scientists wrong. I think we can, we can do that. that, that to prove that you actually can have a, a cohesive social body that is united around what you're for instead of what you're against. Our church, I believe, Generations Church, exists in many ways as a big, fat thumb in the nose against all the experts that say you cannot have unity without uniformity, right? That's what they say. We say hogwash. Just watch us. We can do it. Amen? Thank you. All right. Let's make sure I was in the right place today. Now, this is not easy. We know this. This doesn't come easy. Um, and, and I totally understand a lot of folks can't handle it. It's okay. Well, some folks come to Generations for a little while. And at some point, they're like, I'm out. Y'all, y'all have fun here. Too many people don't think like me. I get that. And I understand that. And I don't blame them. It's not evil. It's just, it's human, right? Uh, it goes against every natural fiber in our being to be this kind of church that you're a part of. The fact that you are here right now this morning, especially some of you who have stuck it out and you are still here and you've been here for a while, the fact that you are here is a testament to the power of Jesus Christ to change a human being, to work through our natures, amen? And sometimes in spite of our natures. That is amazing. The fact that you are here and right here on a Sunday morning means you are a little weird, you are strange. You are stranger than the average bear. Amen? Uh, I know, I know a, a lot of Christians, and, I, and I, I think I have to admit I was probably like this too at one point. We think our main calling in life is to clearly and loudly draw the line between the us and between the them. That's a, that feels like a real natural even pious, noble thing to do. To really firmly define who the we are. Who are the we? And to really firmly stereotype who the they are out there. And and to make sure our swords are sharp and our walls are strong and to keep them from attacking us and threatening our our peace and security and comfiness um, and threatening everything that keeps us safe and sound. That's a natural thing, and it feels almost noble and pious, doesn't it, to to kind of find that as our our calling. I got to tell you, that just sounds really lame and boring to me. I have no interest in pastoring a church that is like that. There are some out there. You could probably go have fun and won't judge you, but that is not this. That is not Generations Church. And, and we believe, uh, one of, I just feel in my gut that we call out to our brothers and sisters all across this land, this wonderful place of America, we call across and say, let's put down the swords. Let's maybe stop defending God as if he needs our protection, right? And, and start loving our enemies. That's a crazy thought. But my, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ kind of said to do it, so... What if we did that? What if we put down the sword and love our enemies? This us-them dichotomy, the only thing it does is it keeps everybody divided and it gets nobody saved. It gets nobody saved. I might put it this way. There is no them except those that we deem unworthy of God's mercy 
and his love. Whoever's unworthy of his mercy and his love, they can be the them. Now, I go to the Bible and it says no one is. No one is unworthy of his mercy. No one is outside his mercy and his love. And that until judgment day, we are to treat every single human being as though they have unsurpassable worth. Amen. We are to strive to rescue every man, woman, and child from darkness and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and his grace to them. Amen. And friends, that that effectively means there is no them. There is no them, right? So we, we don't want to be a church of xenophobes. We are a church of philozaniacs. I'll just call us that, right? Just say, hallelujah, I am a philozaniac. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to be, Lord, make me a philozaniac. We're going to see that this is, is central to what it means to follow Jesus. Um, this was all my introduction here, so uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll talk fast. But I'm telling you what, at a time in America when, when we're living right now, you could not have a, a more beautiful countercultural message uh, than this message uh, that the Lord wants to give us today. Uh, this, is about, this is about being kingdom people. This is, about, this is the heart of what it means to be kingdom people. We're people of the kingdom. We're not people of Christendom. You, you've heard that too. We've talked about that term before. Christendom is, is uh, what happens when you have state-sponsored religion. Christendom is, is when Christians, uh, they, they fight the wrong battle and fight to get in earthly power. And when Christians, for some reason, when the church gets in power, like, it just doesn't ever turn out well. We have a bad history of that. So this is not about trying to achieve uh, the, the all-powerful Christendom. This is about the kingdom right here. You can find this theme throughout the Bible. I want to start uh, through the Old and New Testament. We're going to start by reading two ch- passages dealing with welcoming the stranger. In the Old Testament, it says this in Deuteronomy. It says, circumcise then the foreskin of your heart. What kind of metaphor is that? My goodness. Basically, the idea is consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. Uh, the, the idea is to set yourself apart from the way the world does things. The world does things one way. You do things a different, a different way. Um, and do not be stubborn any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods. Hallelujah. The Lord of lords, praise God. The great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial. He takes no bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and he loves the strangers. That's some philozania right there. Providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers. You were zenas in the land of Egypt. This is powerful stuff here. God loves the stranger and he feeds them. He defends the orphans and the widow. We can see which side God is always on. Make sure on that side. You want to make sure you're on the right side. And he says that because you yourselves were once in the, on the outside looking in, spiritually speaking, he's, spe- he's speaking to Israelites here, but he's speaking to us too. We, we were once slaves. We were once homeless. We were once orphans. And that's the picture that e- Egypt represents here, that we were once slaves in Egypt. You should also love the stranger. He says this in Leviticus. Let's see here. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as, a, as your native born. The word there means citizen. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. There's lots more scriptures we don't have time to look at. Uh, and about the specifics of how you were to treat 
the, and welcome the foreigner, the alien. Deuteronomy 26 talks about how uh, it says to the Israelites, so when you bring your harvest to the Lord, set aside 10% of it to go to help out the foreigner and those who are in need, basically kind of functioned like a tax almost. It was like a 10% to help those who were in need among them, who were passing through and in need. There's other passages we've looked at before in different, different messages uh, that tell about, you probably remember that we tell about like when you harvest your crop, leave some on the ground, leave some behind for the people who are hungry, the people who don't have enough to eat, the alien, the foreigner, and those who are in need. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that the Israelites were supposed to uh, make space, make space to welcome and care for the stranger. And the importance of this was stressed over and over and over. We're told, for example, that uh, if you treat the foreigner as a citizen, if you love them, if you care for the, the widow and the orphan, people who were vulnerable among you, then it says your land will be blessed. But if you mistreat the foreigner, if you don't treat them with respect and with dignity, if you don't consider them having the same worth as a citizen and you don't care for the needy, then it says judgment will come on your land. In fact, if you read your Bible, it's fascinating. Uh, this doesn't just go for Israel. It goes for all the little nations around there. Uh, you'll find that one of the very top reasons why the nations back then would come under judgment is because they mistreat the foreigner. God would even speak judgment on the foreign nations for the way they mistreated the foreigner among them. They didn't treat them like citizens. They didn't treat them with respect. And they didn't care about the vulnerable. And now... Here's the thing, in the ancient world of the Old Testament, uh, a culture of hospitality was not necessarily uncommon. That, that was pretty pervasive. There were, you got to think back then, there were no hotels, there's no Airbnbs, right? Uh, no Priceline, nothing like that. So when you're traveling, you had no choice but to, to rely on the mercy of strangers for lodging and your food. So hospitality to strangers, in some parts of the Middle East, they still value this today. Hospitality to strangers was a moral code across that region. Uh, and so the Israelites doing this too wasn't really a surprise. What was surprising, what is unique about the Bible, what God tells the Israelites specifically, was that they were called to treat all strangers this way. Not just uh, folks from inside the borders, like, oh, you're from the northern part of Israel passing through. Hey, welcome here. Have a, have a burger. No, no, no. All strangers, people from outside their borders, the Syrian and the Egyptian and these kind of folks who came in through, uh, they were to treat them, that who is who the other was, for an Israelite. Those kind of people. And this, you got to remember, this is in a culture that is highly suspicious of foreign nations. The command to love aliens and foreigners as yourself is unprecedented. Nowhere else in uh, the ancient Near East do we find in their codes that we've un uncovered and their writings and so, uh, the little things that we've uncovered about their laws and their codes of, of culture. Nowhere else do you see this command to serve the foreigner and to love them as yourself, to treat them as a citizen. This is, this is hospitality that goes just way beyond just tolerating somebody. And God gives two essential reasons for this command. First, he says, uh, first, you're to love the foreigner and show hospitality because this is what God is like. God shows hospitality. And to be the people of God means you reflect the character of God. And I reflect the character of God. That's what it means to be godly. 
is to reflect his character. God is hospitable to all strangers. He shows no favoritism. He loves all people equally. That was just unheard of. This God, he doesn't take bribes. And back then, bribing the gods was kind of how you got things done. You offered them like your firstborn or you inflicted suffering upon yourself to like prove yourself to them. That was how you got things done in the ancient world. This God isn't into that. And this God loves the widow and the fatherless and he cares about the needy and the vulnerable. He instructs his people then to be an extension of him, to be his image bearers. And so because God is like this, so should we do likewise. The second reason God gives is because we're called to remember that you yourself were an alien in the land of Egypt. God says to the Israelites, you know what it's like to be mistreated in a foreign land. And it was terrible. You know, you remember. So because you had it so bad when you were foreigners, you should do the opposite. Now, just in case we're tempted to say, okay, that's nice history lesson, but you know, that was old covenant. We're not under the law. Praise the Lord. We're into the new covenant here. Well, I want to show, so so the new covenant actually tells us the, the same thing. It gives us the same calling and it gives us actually the same two essential reasons, but we're going to, what we'll find is in light of the cross, uh, it has even more profound meaning. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter two, he says, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. Then in verse 4 he says, But God, I love that, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised us, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that. And then to the Gentiles, he says specifically this. So that would be uh, especially for you and me. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, uh, or verse 19, he says, Remember, remember that you were at that time without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Uh, By the way, in in many ways, if you were a Gentile back then and you heard this message of Christ, you were coming at it from almost, you were like a double alien, right? Because you were not only, you you didn't know Christ, you didn't know about Jesus, but you weren't even a Jew. You weren't even part of the the family of Israel yet. So you were like double removed. And so he's, he's saying that you were aliens from even the commonwealth of Israel, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let me break this down a little bit, what he says here. First, Paul says, Paul says you weren't just strangers to God. He uses the word dead. You were dead, right? Like a corpse. And without Christ, he's saying that the relationship between you and God was basically equivalent to the relationship between a dead body and a living person, which, you know, most of you are pretty lightning fast. You probably recognize, well, there is no relationship there, right? A, a, A dead body doesn't feel anything. There's not feeling any relationship there. Right? And so what Paul is saying is that apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. We have no relationship with God. We're as alien to God as the dead are to the living. That, that's being strangers right there. 
He says you were strangers to the prom- over the promises of God. You were aliens. You had no hope. You were without God in this world. And if that wasn't bad enough, he says that you were bo- in bondage to the prince and the power of the air. That's the devil. He's talking about Satan. So essentially, you were an enslaved corpse in the pit of hell. That's as far away as you can get. You could not be more estranged from God than we were. More alien to God, more xenos to God than that. But when we were xenos to God, he loved us. He loved us extravagantly. He loved us and he gave us this extravagant philozania. He showed us this extravagant hospitality. When we were on the outside, he made us insiders. He gave us life. For, uh, and out of his grace, he forgave all of our sins. When we didn't do anything, he wipes the slate clean. He destroyed the book of crimes that hangs over our head from the devil, right? He frees us from our bondage. Praise God. And so we who were once far off have been brought near. And not only near, it calls us ex-aliens like you and I are. Uh, We are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Praise God. Amen? We've been placed in Christ Jesus himself. That is prime territory right? That's, is, that, 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 that's some special, special treatment. This is as near as one can possibly be. This is philozania on steroids, what God has done for us, to the point where, where through Christ we have been welcomed in, and God has now opened up his treasure trove of blessing to give to us, to the point where God says, everything I have, I give to you. Everything I open up to you. Come on, that is just this ridiculous, extravagant, self-giving hospitality. That is why we are called to do the same for others. So Paul gets at this in Romans chapter 15. Now I have to admit, sometimes it's easy for me to read a passage like this and kind of skip right by it, just kind of think like, yeah, that's nice. Uh, But listen, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We just saw how Christ has welcomed us, right? So go thou and do likewise is what he's telling us. We just saw what Jesus did for us. That may seem like a really kind of like soft, nice little polite scripture. Just, hey, welcome others as Christ as well do. Um, but if you are a corpse in the pit of hell and Jesus throws open the doors and says, come with me if you want to live. This, that is a welcome right there, right? That we all need and all crave. That is what God has done for us. So go do the same for others. Amen. Uh, We're called to reflect his character, to be imitators of God. Uh, Paul says this so beautifully in Ephesians 5. This is one of my favorite verses here. He tells us to be imitators, to mimic God, basically. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. The word means just mimic, mimic. It's uh, basically that sums up the whole kingdom life right there. Mimic God, imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Go thou and do likewise. Imitate God in his generosity. Mimic God in his self-giving hospitality and extend that to all people at all times. People outside your tribe, outside your comfy zone, right? And see, folks, if we're doing that, if we're doing that as the church, if we're welcoming the stranger, if we're sharing with those who are in need, then we are just collapsing that whole us-them dichotomy. We're just, we're just destroying it, right? They'll be in us, but there's no them because we've included them as part of us. We've, we've thrown open the curtain to the them and there's nobody there because we're all on this side. We're saying you're all part of us. 
And when we're doing that, we won't just be sitting here on a Sunday morning looking around to see, I wonder if there's any visitors here. No, 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 because we are actively going to our neighbors to pursue them, to, to welcome them into part of our community. Because you yourself were once alone. You yourself were once a slave in Egypt, right? You yourself were once without hope, were once without community, without citizenship in God's kingdom. You were lost. So we make space for the stranger and we actively seek to fill that space uh, by inviting all who would come and taste and see how good the Lord is and see his mercy. Jesus tells us this himself. He says the same thing. Lord, prepare us for this one. Here we go. Jesus said to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they might invite you in return and you would be repaid. Oh no. But when you give a banquet, he says, do it like this. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. These, these stand for the outcast, the invisible people in their society. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. See, in the kingdom, you're blessed the most when people can't pay you back. That's when you're blessed. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So we know how this works, right? When you throw a party, you have a little dinner, you invite folks over that you're comfortable and familiar with. We're sort of reinforcing that normal social bond. That's what we're doing. And when they throw a party, you know, they invite you back, hopefully. Uh, and, and we call this sort of, you know, this is like a, a quid pro quo kind of hospitality. Um, I'm nice to you, you be nice to me. It's the normal way friendships work. Um, there's nothing particularly evil about it uh, at all. It's not a sin. It's just not distinctly kingdom, you see? It's not kingdom. And so Jesus isn't saying that you can never have friendship gatherings or you can't ever, you know, go out to dinner with a friend. Or I just had lunch with a, uh, a friend this week. And a couple of weeks ago, we had lunch. And uh, I, I, he paid this week. And I think I paid uh, a couple of t weeks ago. I hope I did. Um, you know, that's just, and that's normal. That's okay. You can't, it's not like you can't do that. He's not forbidding you from sitting down to dinner, having parties with people that you're intimate with. Of course not. But just know this. That's really not what kingdom hospitality is. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what kingdom hospitality is. Because everybody does that, right? We didn't have to get saved to know how to do that. Everybody does that. What is distinctively kingdom is to go out of your way to invite outsiders. People not like you. People not from your social circles or your socioeconomic circles or your ethnic tribe or your political side, right? Even showing hospitality to people outside your religious circles. See, Jesus, he did this and he got some eyebrows raised, didn't he? Because he hung out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and outsiders and Samaritans and Romans and pagans and rejects and invisible people. He did all this. He intentionally broke down social walls. Now, he never went and like sinned with those people, but he did go love on those people. He went and loved on them where they were at. And you know what? The religious folks of the day, they accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton, even though he wasn't. They accused him of that because he didn't mind being seen with outsiders. He didn't mind it. This is what kingdom hospitality looks like. Jesus, he swam up upstream, 
from his culture. He really did. He did what first century rabbis just did not do, would never do. He hung out with people that they would never associate with. He ate with people that first century rabbis wouldn't touch because they were unclean. They were the xenos, the strange, the other. And Jesus says, you are exactly who I came here to befriend, right? Let's go to dinner. And, and, and by the way, I'm reminded of this, that Jesus also hung out with uh, the kind of people who sort of made him furious. He did. He hung out with the Pharisees and the prideful folks who were, who were to him, to Jesus, those were also the Zenos, the other, right? He loved them too. So it's a good lesson. You can't just hang out with the misfits because they do have more fun, right? You also got to hang out with the uptight, stuffy people too, because they're all the Zenos. God loves them all. We're to love them all, right? We welcome them all in. Now, what's so cool is, is the Christians of that day, we can read from historians, that they were known for this. They were known for how they adopted this Zenos-loving hospitality, this others-centered mindset. It's part of how the religion spread so fast. Even when it was against the law, the religion just spread like wildfire. Uh, one of the historians of the day, Josephus, he was not a Christ follower, but he was a, a historian. We learned so much about the, even the church from an outsider's point of view. He reports that like one time when a plague hit a town, uh, Christians would stay behind and, and serve the sick and act like the nurses for the people who were, who were struck by this plague. Even when the, the Roman doctors and politicians ran from town, they would leave and head for the hills and the Christians would stay behind. And they were known for the hospitality, for putting others in front of their own needs, above their own welfare, above their own personal rights or anything like that. Others, others, the Christians of that day, if... They, they, they wanted to shine Jesus to other people. And if there was a, a way to shine love on the Zenos, the Christians of that day would say, we're in. How do we do? Where, where do we line up? And see, when God reigns over a people like us, it says to the world, it, well, it says that the world will know those people by their love. Remember that scripture? It says he'll know those people by their love. And it's not just their love for the people who look like them and act like them. That's not going to impress the world any. I, I, honestly, I can find that kind of love down the street at the sports bar, right? I can walk in and they'd be like, Norm, Scott, or whatever. But, but our, no, what they'll know us as is our generous hospitality toward people who are different. That is what shocks the world, right? The world should look at us and go, oh, that's how Christians behave towards folks? I had them all wrong, right? And in doing this, we put on display to the world what the kingdom of God always looks like because we reflect what God looks like, what he always does. He's the welcoming God. He's the welcoming God. He's the one who leaves the 99 to go find the lonely, right? He's the, he, Jesus calls himself the friend of sinners. He heal, he's the healer of the hurting, and if we're going to call ourselves the people of God, we have to make space and welcome outsiders into our comfort zone. You see, this calling is it's not going to be easy. It's not to be taken lightly. So I hope you can see when we're talking about hospitality, there is nothing milk toast about this, right? This idea of kingdom hospitality is, is brutally countercultural. It really is. We have to be serious about this because I'm telling you, everything in our culture and everything in our mind pushes back against this. 
Nothing that comes natural wants you to be this way. I'm just going to tell you that right now, right? Uh, nothing come, wants you to be this way. Everything in your brain will try to drive you to be more self-absorbed, more self-protective, others phobic, others skeptical. Everything will drive you that way. But it is when we keep our eyes on Jesus and we look at what he did for us, and that is Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us is the perfect image of God right there. That is the perfect reflection of what God is really like. When we keep our eyes on that and we dare to set aside our comfort, set aside our fears and our conveniences, then we're going to experience the supernatural in our life. We all want the supernatural, but that's how we experience it. We're going to experience miracles. You're going to experience supernatural blessing when you're living a supernatural life, a countercultural life, a kingdom life kingdom life. So I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to give us, I'm just going to, today I'm going to give us just a couple of baby steps to help, help us start swimming upstream against the tide here. Uh, we're going to look at a lot more practical ways, I think, next week, uh, but we'll start with this. First baby step is to change your thinking. Change your thinking. We, we aren't ever going to do this unless we create space uh, for strangers, and not just physical space, but mental space. Um, See, it's just natural. Like I said, we all tend to think about our own welfare, and then the welfare of our family, the welfare of our close friends. That's natural. It doesn't make you evil. It just makes you human. Uh, and, and on a day-to-day basis, our routine does not naturally include space for strangers. Jesus says in Matthew uh, chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you're greeting your brothers and sisters, that's your kin, your, your close circles, He says, well, Gentiles do the same as that, right? So the first step for us might be to ask God to help us, to help free, ask God to help free you uh, from a cultural self-focus. It's not a sin to care about your own people at all. It's not wrong to also have a trusted small circle of, of folks that you, you know, you trust with your, your inner life, your private thoughts, your prayers, your struggles. That's, a, that's, that's good. But we want to stretch ourselves. We want to make a point to notice others and show concern about others. Strike up a conversation. Create mental space for others. Pray God's blessings on others and agree with their unsurpassable worth because that's what the scripture says. They, they, they are people, every person we come across, every man, woman, and child is a person of unsurpassable worth. God can even give you creative ways to do this. He can, uh, to show kindness and hospitality to the Xenos, to the other. Uh, for example, there's a restaurant nearby, right next door, in fact. Uh, it's just a great little place, and uh, they uh, serve this delicious Mediterranean-style food, and it's run by this really sweet little Arabic family, and uh, I've gone in there uh, many, many times, because uh, it's within walking distance for me when I'm here during the week, and uh, I go over there, and I've seen, like, they have little, uh, like, scriptures from the Quran on the wall and things like that. Anyway, so I go over there, and uh, so I decided I'm going to learn a couple of Arabic greetings uh, just to show kindness, right? So I go in there, and I throw them an assalam alaikum, which is like a peace be unto you. And they, they toss me back, alaikum assalam, which is back at you. And they, you know, they smile at my bad pronunciation and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, and we've gotten, you know, we've struck up little conversations and everything. They know I'm a pastor here at the church next door. And they're just very, these beautiful people. And we've talked about our relationship with God and how it affects what we do and what we want to do and all this kind of thing. Anyway, I compliment the food. And, and uh, one day the owner just said, thank you 
for making them feel more welcome in this community. And, you know, that's philozania at work. It's just a little, little act of philozania at work. Now, I could have taken another tact. I could have said, hmm, there's Muslims over there. I, I know what I'll do. I'm going to boycott them. That'll show them Jesus for sure. That's one tact. You could take that tact. That's a different sermon, I guess. But anyway, philozania. The second baby step to put this into practice is to get involved in a ministry here at church. This is a good way to do it. That's a great way to show hospitality. Just get involved. Um, it's a way to meet people, to, to serve people. We put this lesson into real practice because it's not just about saying hello. You know, we can do that. That's a good start if you're really shy. Sometimes the first step's just a hello. Say hello to the person next to you uh, at church. But it's ultimately about action, right? Remember, this is, this is like real concrete love we want to show. It's about serving other people and forming relationships. I got to say, I was so proud. Last week, uh, my parents, they probably don't want to even say anything, but they, last week, my parents, uh, they, we had a guest speaker in here, and uh, my mom and dad were both back serving in the nursery the whole Sunday because we opened back up our nursery and we need volunteers. And they were back there. I was so proud of them. Just, they were back there so the moms and dads could be out here and receive that good word from God, right? And it just goes to show you, sometimes that stranger you're serving is somebody's four-year-old, four-month-old toddler, right? Uh, that's a stranger. For, for some of us, a very strange. Um, but just a beautiful way to serve other people. And lastly, I would just say this. Hey, this is a great opportunity. Invite a neighbor, invite a coworker, a classmate, or a complete stranger to come to church with you this Easter. And just four weeks from today, Four weeks from today, we're going to be joining with millions of other Christians across this planet and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, we do not want to party alone, right? We don't want to just party with all the people we know. We want everybody, we want to welcome every person we can find to come celebrate with us. So, so they are more than strangers. We want to love strangers into family. Amen? So folks, if you'll agree with me in taking these baby steps, say amen with me this morning. Amen. Okay. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your mercy. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you are working on us. You are opening our eyes to the stranger in our midst, Father God. Open us up, Lord God, to that kingdom, philozania, Lord God. Make us philozaniacs. Just, just the love of those so that there is no them. We bring them all into over here and, and just create a, a big, huge us right here, Father God, where, God, you can pour yourself into their life. We thank you for the honor of being your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece in this world, Lord God. You have set us apart to do things differently. We thank you, Father God. Remind us of that every single day. May we say, Lord God, how can we do things the way you would have us do it? How can we do things the kingdom way? How can we show kingdom love? to the stranger. We praise you for that, Lord God, that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, will you stand to your feet with me this morning? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward right now. Uh, if there's anything at all that you need prayer about, whether it's a healing in your body or something going on in your life, you just need God to work a miracle uh, in a relationship, in your job, your finances, whatever it is. Or maybe you're here today and you just want to say yes to Jesus. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you've just been away from, you just feel like I've been away from God for too long. All that stuff has just kind of been lying dead inside me. I'm ready for to take a step toward Jesus for him to show me what that next step is. I encourage you to come up and let these awesome, beautiful people pray with you. They would love to pray with you and lead you in that very next step. Hallelujah. Um, so my friends, 
I'm going to bless you today with this word from 2 Corinthians 13. May the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, may the grace of the Father and may the fellowship and hospitality of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Grace and peace. Go, uh, go be sweet to some strangers this week. Amen. Bye-bye.